So we're going to read from in chapter 7 from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Let me read it. I'm reading from the NIV. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was nothing without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now There have been many of those priests since death prevents them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted far above the heavens. And like the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law has the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. Last time we looked at the Lord Jesus and the fact that that he is unique in his service, that he is set apart by God to do something greater and how that in Christ we have become something new and our religion and our religious service has become something new. That the old, the old system of law and regulations and law keeping an observance of traditions, of ceremonies. That has all ended in Jesus Christ. We've been set free from that religious bondage that came about through the Jewish religious system. And in Jesus we have something new, someone new. And we saw that it supersedes, it's greater than, it takes first place. The writer here, the Holy Spirit through the writer here to the church of the first century, all the way down throughout the centuries and millennia to us today is telling us of the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Demonstrates that Jesus was greater and the system that came by Jesus is greater than the temple, greater than the priesthood greater than the high priest in verse 22 we are told that Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant that word guarantee literally means like a down payment or a, a, a an engagement ring as we would think in our times it is the promise of something that is coming in the 
biblical world, a father who had engaged his son to the daughter of a, another person, as a way of guarantee, he would give a sum of money or a plot of land, something valuable. And saying that if I, my son doesn't marry your daughter, then you can have this plot of land, this sum of money as a, as a guarantee that it's going to happen. Jesus is our guarantee. The fact that God gave him, the Bible says God so loved the world. How do we know that God was serious in his act of salvation? He gave his only beloved son something, someone so precious to him. Beloved, that's a great word. Something that is dear to you. Something that is precious to you. Something that you obsess over. Something that you are invested in. That you yourself find pleasurable, profitable. You like this. It belongs to you. My Levi celebrated his birthday this week and he got his first phone. We've never bought a child a phone that early in their lives ever. But he got a phone this week and it is his precious. It is his most beloved objects, possession. He loves his new phone. So much so that we're having to know, like, take it off him. And, and if his brother says, can I have a look at your phone? No, it's my phone. It's my precious and he's very invested in it. And if I was to say to him, son, can I use your phone? No, I'll take it off. He wouldn't give it. Even if he loves me. And, you know, and me and his mom are the most best people in his lives. He's not going to give us his phone. We'd have to take it with violence from him. Because it's his phone. He loves it. That kind of passion is involved in for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his beloved son, the son whom he's invested everything, the one who is utterly precious to him. You and I can trust God because God gave you his beloved only begotten son. How do you know that you are beloved by God, that you are not his precious, that you are not his phone in that little picture of Levi and his most beloved of objects for at least the next few months at least until something else comes along but it, you know that you stand in the affections of God forever because of Jesus Christ for as long as Jesus Christ is alive so God is invested in you and that should, I don't know about you, beloved, but for me, that gives me so much relief, peace. I don't always feel strong and, and mighty and, and powerful. I don't always look at my own Christian life and walk as a worthy one. I don't look at myself and say, well, that's what a Christian should be. Sometimes I look at myself and go, oh, Lord, forgive me. I am so weak and hard and stupid and blind. Lord, how could you love a sinner like me? And I look at myself and when I look at my own life and the instability of it. And I wonder, oh Lord. 
And I ask that question. I've asked that question of the Lord. Lord, how could you love a sinner like me? And I feel here the Spirit reminded of the voice, of the, of the words, look to Jesus. Remember who he is. He is your guarantee that God loves you. That God is invested in you. That God is on your side. And it is the prompting to look away from myself. My own worthiness. My own unworthiness. To look to him who is worthy. The writer goes on here to make that point. Now there have been many of those priests since death has prevented them from continuing in office. But Jesus lives forever for he has become a permanent priesthood. Again we think of the the statutes of man. The conditions that we have put on. We think of the, again the, the law of Moses and the religious institution of the temple worship. And those priests who went and served in the temple and it was their job to bring men to God. It was their duty to act as mediators and those people who are in between. Who would speak on your behalf to God And here the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer, is telling us that all those people who who were the mediators, the the in-between people, they're no longer needed. They're no longer necessary, if they ever were. Why? Because we have Jesus who lives forever. He is a permanent priest. The idea of a priest is one who stands before God and mediates. One who cries out on your behalf. One who is invested in your well-being. He represents you before God. This is wonderful for us who are Protestants. That we have been set free. I don't know if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church. You go in and there's all these little enclaves. Like little, little scallops in the side and little statues are not necessarily little statues I've been the ones that have had massive statues and there's Saint Bartholomew, Saint Jehoshaphat, I don't know who they are you know, Saint this and Saint that the statues of little women, you know doing all this and Saint Christopher's and they're supposed to represent holy people who have died and now are in heaven and you can go up to one of those little statues or big statues and you light a candle and put your money in most modern Roman Catholic churches they don't have where you light the candles you just simply insert your money or swipe your card and a little electronic candle comes on I'm not joking a little electronic candle comes on for an hour or a day depending how much money you've put in and for as long as that candle is lit, your prayer is going up to this saint. And that saint is then going to go and find the Lord Jesus in heaven. Oh, it's me, Bartholomew. I, I, this woman, I don't know what you want to call her, Sadie, as we would say in Ireland. Sadie, Agnes, 
Agnes from down the road in that church, she's just asked me to ask you this, and I'm asking you on her behalf, because you and I have a special relationship. Could be, again, Bartholomew. Mostly it's Mary, the mother of God. You know, the, the whole people go and ask Mary, can you go and speak to your son on my behalf? So they're believing that this person, this some sort of mediator, priest, as you were, is going and speaking on their behalf to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that person has a special relationship, a special friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he'll hear your prayer better because you've prayed a prayer or you've given money. Swipe that card, light that little electronic candle. That's blasphemy. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we need no other priest than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who speaks on our behalf to God the Father. Or acts on our behalf. So you don't need me. I'm not the Pope. I don't grant you special access into heaven. Or an access into the presence of God anyway, form, shape or fashion. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives us a certainty here. Because Jesus lives forever. He has become a permanent priesthood. He represents us. And that sets us free. In the old world we were bound. Pre-Reformation world we were held prisoner by special men. Anointed men. Who only could speak to God on our behalf. You'd have to go to the priest. Who then the priest would go and speak to the special statue. And the special statue would go then. Or the representation of this saint or mother. They would go and speak. We are set free from that. Again you good Lutherans were like. Who would ever believe such a thing? Who would ever be so foolish to believe such a thing? Beloveds, you've never seen the fullness of the pagan world. How these people decorate their churches in gold or brass. And they're all shiny and they have the incense. And this, there's this sense of occultism. I remember being many years ago, 30 years ago in a cathedral in Bilbao. And they had this um, incense cleanser like a big big brass container full of of relke say is that what it is in Swedish and it was swung through the entire cathedral like I'm not saying a little one talking like a like a witch's cauldron you know like a giant and it swung maybe a hundred meters the whole building was full of this smoke and there was some choir somewhere, unseen, singing some sort of powerful acoustic music or a cappella. And the whole inside of the building vibrated with the sound of their singings. And it was dark and it was mysterious. And hanging from the ceiling there was a giant crucifix. And it was lit up and it was specially done so it looked like the crucifix was hanging in the air by itself by some sort of magic. It had invisible wires holding it from the ceiling. And there was a bloody tear running down the face of 
the supposed statue of Jesus, and it rotated ever so slowly. Like so slowly that you would not even really notice it moving. And it was looking down. And the idea was wherever you were in the building, Jesus would see you. And you'd look up and you'd catch his eyes and you'd know. It was all a show. It was all a a falsehood. It was a way of, of capturing and controlling and making people afraid and generating some sort of religious experience. And they'd have to go and they'd have to see these wicked images. They had no confidence that Christ would hear them no matter where they are. They had to come to this special place uh, to, this, to see these wicked images in order to contact God. They had no personal confidence that they themselves could at any time, in any place... Reach out and touch the throne of heaven because Christ is there on their behalf. No, no. They had to come and swipe with their card or put their money in, light their candles, have their confessions, beat themselves, re-sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ so that somehow in some way God would love them more. They had no confidence. Beloved, we are so blessed in the north of being freed from all of this paganism, slavery to this ancient system of works and mysticism. Now we say that, but in the same sense, have you ever been to a charismatic meeting where they, I don't know many many of haven't, but where they generate that same mythos, that same mystery, that same kind of halabalala shalalaba, where there are certain people in the meeting who are specially anointed and they're the ones who, who are the conduit, the golden trumpet to God and you ask them to pray for you and only God hears their prayers and maybe not your prayers. And they have this whole show on the go. It is... The old paganism repackaged and reinvented to make you believe that you have to go to someone else. And someone else has to represent God on your behalf. And it makes you a slave dependent on other people. And not a free man born of the kingdom of God who can at any time, any point, anywhere, any place speak up and God hears you because Christ is your priest. He who lives forever. Beloved, let's not fall into the old trap of depending on men who will die to be our intermediates. The Bible says here, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Beloved, you don't need anyone else. You don't need Mary or Martha. You don't need the mother of Jesus. You don't need St. Bartholomew or whoever else. You don't need a priest or a pastor I can't save you. Dawn can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Who your mom and dad are can't save you. 
Beloved, the only one who can save you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, save completely. Do you know in the Roman Catholic world when you're born and you receive baptism and they say that God then gives you a deposit of merit. You're born at zero. When you're baptized in the Roman Catholic world, they give you a hundred. No. Merit, goodness, 100 merit points. It's like a board game. You start with 100, but then as you go through your life, when you do a little wrong here, a little wrong there, you take a few points off. You subtract a point for this, you subtract a point. If you don't say, you don't go to church all the time. So you have to go to, to regularly to Mass, do the whole taking communion thing, and that kind of gives you like a little boost. Again, if you ever played a computer game and or a board game, um, you're losing your life and then you have to go to a health bonus. And you, you bonus up, don't you? Well, that's what they mean. You, we're going there and the priest comes, he gives you the wafer. And you get a little health merit bonus. You go and do your, your uh, confession and you get rid of it all. And he says, do your Hail Marys, whatever, Ave Marias. And you get a little merit strengthens you up again. Should not be so, cannot be so. We are not born with, uh, when we're baptized as children, go up to 100 in that merit and continually trying to refill what Jesus has done for us. Continually trying to save ourselves. It's like the, the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't really work. It doesn't really redeem you. It, it, it makes you back to zero, but then you have to keep it. Or, and you're continually trying to save yourself, continually trying to, to maintain a level of goodness. But the Bible says here that Jesus Christ is able to save completely. Ultimately, perfectly, to its finish. When Jesus saves you, the work is done and you are saved. It's not by your maintaining that salvation that you keep being saved. He has saved you completely. In verse 26, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sin, exalted above the heavens. Isn't that wonderful? That's the one who represents you. That's the one who is connected to you. We, we look not at our own merits. It's so hard not to, isn't it? We kind of get into our own way. We're so aware. An older man, an old Pentecostal man. 30-something years ago, warned me. He said, son, the closer you get to him, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. Son, I was 17 at the time, and he was like 80 or something. I don't even know. Pop Gilkison, very, very old. Big, powerful man, but very, very old. He said, son, big, deep voice, son. The closer you get to him, the further you'll feel that you are from him. Meaning the the more and more you recognize and see the Lord Jesus Christ's holiness, the more apparent it becomes of your unholiness, 
How far. The more familiar you are with him, the more you recognize how far you are from him. How you will never meet his standard. You will never become what he is. You think after a certain amount, this, this man became a Christian when he was a child on the farm in Ireland. And he lived all his life. The Lord had healed him from cancer. Tremendous testimony. God used him mightily in several revivals in Ulster, in Ireland. And yet, at the end of his days, all he could say was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You would think that, you know, that, and I, I you know, looking at him, he was a, a mighty man of God. A holy man, I would have said. He prayed powerfully. Oh, wonderful. It was like when Don and Kyle go out in the forest are praying. We're like, oh, Lord. And we were in the prayer meetings on Wednesday morning at, really, at 7 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And the room would shake sometimes with the, the power of his voice. And then other times he would whisper. And you would feel that the presence of God was there. But yet that man warned me and rightly so that the closer you get to Christ, the further you go on with him, the more you will realize that you are not worthy. And you fall short of his standard. And how much you are dependent upon Jesus. And it is then in the midst of that unworthiness when the reality, the realization of how far you are from his perfect standard, it is then you must trust him. You must throw yourself upon his mercy. It is in that moment and in that moment that you throw your, 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 your resting and trusting him because you know that you are unworthy. There's something in us. That wants to, well, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worthy. I'm a little bit good. After all these years, surely, Lord, there must be some redeeming factor in me. I should know better. Oh, beloved, do not fall into the trap of trusting in the flesh. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. We have one who is holy, our Lord Jesus Christ, holy and blameless, pure and set apart from sin and exalted in the heavens. That is who he is. He that is the one who represents us. Should we trust in a man? Should we trust in the old Pope? The Pope of Rome? Is he a holy man? Blameless? Is he pure and set apart from sinners? I don't think so. If you look at all the sex scandals in the Roman Catholic Church, they're certainly not pure and holy. No man is pure and holy and set apart, blameless and all those other factors. There is not, not one person living today here on this planet who fulfills that, those categories. There is only one person throughout all of history that is that speaks of and is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, it says, Unlike the other high priests, 
He does not need to offer up sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of other people. Again, we're talking about the Roman Catholic system here and the religions of men. It's supposedly the biggest Christian church. I had a talk with my son the other day about Christianity and how it's the biggest oppressive force, in his opinion, the biggest oppressive force on all the planet. And he says, well, and he said, well, Dad, in the Roman Catholics, and I said, hold on, son, how do you not know? We don't agree with the Roman Catholics. We don't think of them as Christian. Oh, but they think they're Christian, Dad. Son, it's the Bible that dictates what is a Christian. And you hold them against the standard of the Bible. And if they fall short, they're not Christian. And we talk about them in the realization that they believe in somehow in some way that they must re-sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ day and daily. There must be this continually ongoing work. You are at terrible risk if you're not continually taking this, their sacraments or engaging in their religious worship that must maintain your goodness. You must be always trying to do good works and religious service in order to maintain, to bonus up, to Bank merits for yourself. And yet, beloved, we, we do not, we who are reformed Christians, the great, 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 great grandchildren of the Reformation, we understand and recognize that we don't have to strive and strain to maintain our righteousness, to increase our merit, to somehow in some way Repair the damage that our sinful nature may do if we sin and falter and fall. Why? Because Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself one time for all. His sacrifice was sufficient to cleanse us from all sin, past, present and future, conscious and unconscious. He has cleansed us. We are no longer as black as sin. We are as white as newly washed wool. Jesus Christ is not like other high priests of the old system. He's not like the systems of this world that must maintain day in, day after. As if somehow in some way his sacrifice isn't sufficient. That in some way and somehow he deletes from it because he is perfect because he is righteous because of his own standing before God we can trust him to represent us for he is worthy and that worthiness has been passed on to us we have received it via him so that we don't come to God in our own righteousness our own worthiness our own faithfulness that we can look to God and say, well, because I have done this today, I am in good standing with you. Because I have said my prayers today. Because I have read my five pages of the Bible today. I am in good standing with you. And therefore, I can look to you and you must bless me because I have done my part. 
because I have spoke to this person or give this money because I have done something. Therefore, Lord, you must bless me. That is not Christian. That is the religion of this world. For we look not unto ourselves, our deeds, our motives, anything that we have done or bring or have in our hand. For we recognize in our core we are dirty, rotten sinners and we we have never deserved God's goodness. God did not save you because he looked upon you and thought to himself, there's something good there. A little spot, a little dot. Though he looked and saw there was a rebel. He looked and saw and saw that there was one deserving condemnation. One who would spit in his eye. One of those who, if we had been at the crucifixion, we would have cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We would have shared the guilt as much as they. And yet, and yet, he in his goodness, in his mercy, in his grace, has designated, has come down and saved us. We look not unto ourselves. We don't need any other person to stand and mediate for us. We have one who is wonderful. One who has offered up one single sacrifice and by that perfect sacrifice has washed away our sins. He says he has sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is enough. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not looking at you. I, again, I walk around condemning myself all the time. Oh Lord, I fall so short of what I think a Christian should be. You know, I see all the, 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 the doubt, the fear, the indecision, the, the not being gracious to my lovely wife when she's not feeling well. And all this other stuff. And I just lay on and sins that I committed 30 years ago, 40 years ago almost, are still upon my conscience. And I think, oh Lord, how could you, Lord? And it's almost like I'm ashamed to turn back to the Lord. And yet the voice of God cries into my heart, look unto Jesus and be saved. We're not trusting in our own righteousness, our own deserving. It's because of Jesus Whether you feel it or not. Whether you accept it or not. You're not justified by your deeds or the actions or mediations of someone else on your behalf. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. God provided a new way. Now, way is in the Lord Jesus Christ for us to come and draw near to God. And a way has been opened to us. Do you remember in the story of the crucifixion when Christ died? What happened in the temple? And I like to think of it in the moment that the, the high priest, in Jewish tradition, 
the high priest would once a year go in and he would burn incense before the, the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the, the, the Holy of Holies, the most special place in the Jewish temple, was hidden behind a giant curtain. We say curtain, gardein. We think of one of these little pansy things. You close it, it makes the room darker, but you can still through it. This was literally a wall of felt, uh, like a, a giant thick carpet hanging from the ceiling. So big that, so big and so thick it looked like a wall. But it was a, a wall of, of, of material. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, that curtain, that divider between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple was broken, was split in half. It ripped from the top to the bottom. Boom! God demonstrated that the way to him had been made clear. Do you think, that, I mean, can you imagine the amount of work it must have taken for the Jews to repair that? I always think that they, they then try to sew it back together, you know, later on or something. You can't sew felt back together. You have to re. And it was the pattern of whatever happened. I don't know. I also like to think it was at the time when the, the high priest went in and was offering up sacrifices. And he was there trying to do his religious duty with the rope tied to his feet with, with his wee bells jingling so they knew that he was still alive. And the curtain breaks and he's there and he's like, oh! You can imagine him running out with his... That's my imagination was happening there. And he's running out. Oh! And they don't know what's happened, you know. And then eventually he'll have to go back in and there's the curtain all wrecked. At the moment of Christ's death. God has made a way. He has broken the division. And it's in Jesus Christ. Not even in your trust of Jesus. It is by faith we are saved, yes. And... When I was a younger man, I used to struggle with what is faith? And I used to have this little mantra in my head. I used to say it all the time as I was walking. I am saved by faith, not by feeling. I am saved by faith, not by feeling. If I don't feel that I have faith, do I have faith? And I needed to have faith in God. I needed courage and strength and and somehow, in some way, be bold and mighty. And I'm going to slay a dragon and have feeling. I needed to have a positive feeling. But beloved, that was my immature thinkings. It's not my faith that empowers Christ. It's Christ that empowers my faith. And I look upon him not look upon myself to generate some sort of feeling that gives me confidence in Him. But I look upon Him and say, because He has done this, I know that I have peace with God. Regardless of how I feel it, I have a positive, enthusiastic response. I know He died on my behalf. I know He is perfect. I know he has made a way. I know that my sins have been forgiven. My account in heaven is clean. And I have received the fortunes of Christ. I am blessed.
It is not your faith that saves you. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in believing in him. But it's not that our faith empowers him to save us. So beloved, he is greater. Greater than your own heart. Greater than your faithfulness. He stands in heaven or is seated in heaven and is interceding on our behalf. This is the one who will never die, never give up, never give in, never be too busy. Off on a holiday, not really being able to be with us today. Regardless of how you think or feel or how you are engaged, whether you are faithful or unfaithful, Christ is always faithful. His sacrifice is sufficient one time and for all. You need not add to it. Now you and I are not Roman Catholics. We don't go to a priest and say confessions. We don't do our special works and beat ourselves or eat fish on a Friday or whatever else they might do to try and win merit with God. But we are human. We are people just like them. And their system is a humanized system of religion. And though we might not belong to their tradition, we oftentimes fall into the error that they have fallen into. In practice, believing that in some way and somehow we must make up for our lack. I am... I had it marked in my Bible, but now it's gone. I remember looking this morning at a verse that I was given in Bible college. For your, your love is like the morning mist. Your love is like the morning mist. The word there for love is chaste, I think. I can't remember how to pronounce it. And it could also mean your steadfastness, your commitment. And I thought, I always think that was me. You know, I'm really committed for a time. And then I, after a couple of days, weeks, I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, woe with me. And then I would have to make some great effort, some great adventure to... to rebuild my commitment to the Lord or, or try and do something. And then the rest of the verse is, I don't require sacrifice but mercy. I don't require sacrifice but mercy. And the idea is that God just requires you to be respondent or, or to receive, to be at peace in what he has done. He doesn't need you to then kind of come with a big, every husbands and wives or whoever, you say something stupid to your wife and she gets angry with you and then you have to go and make peace. And, and you know, some, some people bring flowers. Some people just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm stupid. And you're just kind of trying, sucking up, just trying to make recompense and reconciliation. I'm sure you other guys, not many people make that mistake. I have made that mistake many times. And you're just so, and you try and rebuild, kind of show that you're, you're repentant, you know, and you're, you regret and all the rest. 
God doesn't need that. God doesn't need you to come with your bouquet of flowers and your chocolate box and your ice cream or whatever else you bring and try to suck up. God doesn't need you to suck up. Doesn't. He needs you to be at peace in what he has done for you. And there we see that, that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto Jesus and be saved completely. Don't trust in your own merit. Don't be like the Roman Catholics in practice who then must try and redeem or seek new merit. Beloved, trust in what Christ has done for you. Understand that there has been a way made into heaven that we're able to draw close to God not because of how good you are, however big or small, but because of what Christ has done for us. He who is holy and blameless, pure and set apart from sinners and exalted to the heavens, do not look to yourself. Look unto Jesus and be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we recognize, Lord, that we are continually making the mistake of trying to trust in our own efforts. Lord, how often we become overwhelmed in our own weakness. Lord, how often we are so aware of how far we fall short. Lord, please allow this not to drive us away from you, but to draw us closer to you. Lord, that we might rest all the more and become more mature in you, not trusting in our feelings, but resting in our faith. Oh, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, become greater in our eyes, become greater in our life, become more to us. And please, Lord, help us. Let that understanding and knowledge and peace translate itself into our lives, into our relationships with those that we love and those who are are our closest. Father, to our relationships with the, the people that we work with, our friends and and for the stranger in the street, that they might see you in us. The Lord, we might serve you all the more in this, in this time. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you died for us one time and for all. We are grateful that your sacrifice is sufficient. Lord, we are greater, or we are grateful, sorry, Lord, for this greater covenant, this new covenant, this new life. That, Lord, we are no longer held prisoner by priests and high priests and by religious actions, but we are set free. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for this, this new life. Lord, we pray, be glorified. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' precious name, amen.